0: Hey guys, I hope you enjoy this installment of the On The podcast with Pastor Brian Stecker. I recorded with him and had an awesome time hanging out with him. What we're going to do is break up that long form into the kind of bits that we usually use here about an hour on Brief History of Power. But I will put a link in the show notes to the full thing if you just want to go watch it yourself. And you should definitely check out the upcoming episodes. You can see what he's what he's doing and and what he's getting going and, and who he's going to have on. It looks like a lot of fun and is even more Joe Rogan style than we are, being both video and very long form. So if, if you're into that, please go check him out. Great guy and a, a great thing that they're doing there at Trinity, Waconia, Minnesota. So take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Three hours, this will be one installment of it of secularism and the
1: martyrs so you've had a busy weekend yes sir yeah not just relaxing here in the beautiful minnesota north
0: yeah no i mean i I
1: come to minnesota on vacation
0: all the time yeah but that's that's not a joke but yeah i was at university lutheran chapel earlier this weekend i was talking about martyrs uh we read some martyrdom accounts yesterday and taught about how they thought about death and why they faced it with calmness and then preached this morning. And I came right over here as soon as I could. Yes. So, yeah. And then yeah. tomorrow you will begin teaching at the pastor's conference. Yeah, just just chilling, just relaxing in Minnesota. Yeah. For me, it's about the grain belt beer. It's, um, you know, um, everything else is fine. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah they got a what, Northeastern or something like that? They got I another. had
0: one of those last night. Yeah. Yeah, served to me by a guy whose family fled from Laos at the end of the Vietnam War. So yeah. he's one of your thousands of Hmong minnesotans yeah so yeah good times so do you think you could die a martyr's death you've been talking about for two days could i die a martyr's death i've been talking about it for two days yes because the thing that i've learned from and i've taught that specific kind of material 10 times in the past three years Mm -hmm. always by people's request that's what they want to talk about i have Taught this many times, but certainly I figured out maybe the first or second time that I taught it. They thought of it essentially like sports. So if you think about the physical demands that are made on people who play big time sports, it's it's way more than it was in previous generations. That's why guys are bigger in the NFL than they used to be, or they run faster or whatever. You know, they're 40 times or like down, 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 down compared to guys in the 70s are like smoking between, you know, possessions, right mm-hmm. on the sideline, right? is that they just expect to and they prepare for incredible difficulty. That's the way that the church for about the first 300 years thinks about death. Because here's your relative high probability of dying violently at the hands of the state, treat it as part of your preparation. And so you can tell that they have kind of stock lines that they've given people. So Everybody from young girls to elderly clergymen say my name is Christian when Mm. they are asked for their name. And that helps you stop the spread of information to the state because if they don't know your name, they might not be able to figure out your family's name or the guy that you work with or whatever, which is stuff they ask for. So they have people prepared to be arrested. And then they have people prepared for dying in a way that they've heard other people died this way too and that's something that the martyrdom accounts that we have are all accounts from church churches Mm -hmm. wrote down how did these people die and then they read it to each other and that gets you ready to die Mm -hmm. so i could say yes but i'm not saying that like by way of bravado like yeah i'm just i'm just so like incredible i could die a martyr's death i'm saying like i have worked through this so often i've thought you know okay how did they go about this like and and what would you do and and would you give the government information and whatever and you work through enough of that and you're like yeah i i I could do this i mean like people did this Mm -hmm. they did
1: they just kind of just half the half the battle isn't it just the preparation you know just that like talk through like well what would i do in this situation what would i do in that situation and do i know like do i know the stories well enough to be like yeah me and justin martyr you know right you know uh, me and Polycarp, yeah. you know? And it's just like, he did it, I can do it. Like just to, to have that enough, like that's, that's kind of what it takes. They
0: think that it's part of the life in Christ. So it's not, they're not talking about saints yet in the first couple hundred years as superhuman. They're talking about them as incredible examples, but incredible examples are there for you to follow. And so if you realize that that's actually possible, then you're like, okay, well, then I need to devote myself to the same things. Mm. I mean, I had a similar experience in graduate school studying the church fathers and realizing I don't think they really read anything except the Bible.
2: Hmm.
0: Hmm. And because of that, I was like, I should read the Bible multiple times a year. And you go from there, you know? But mm-hmm. I think that too often in the church, we we act like examples are there to like shame us or something yeah. or, or they're not real or they are just a piece of bravado. The early Christians are thinking about life as an athletic contest. Mm-hmm. And so if this guy is in this kind of shape or he runs this fast or whatever, yeah, he has natural gifts, but it's because he
1: worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he worked to develop them. Yeah, I was telling you that we had a contractor over doing some work on our stairs, and he Catholic background and whatnot. He was talking about that. He was saying, you know, just the studying of the saints for him, you know, or the martyrs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like they look they look so heroic that modern day heroes that often kind of suck people away. He's (laughs) like they kind of lose their 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 attraction, right? You know, what's what's this great football player in comparison to? Justin Martyr or, you know, or the courage that he had. And all of a sudden you're like, that's that's a better story. And that's, that captures your heart better than all of the modern stories that you're gonna see kind of strewed throughout movies and television.
0: Yeah, I know. And I, I mean, I say that like I I had various, you know, posters in my room growing up and I thought these people were really cool. And like, you know, and, and in the whole scheme of You thing, had the Martyrs in your room, right? They, to... It was, yeah, it was the Martyrs, it was Polycarp, <laughs> it was whatever, you know. But it was also Barry Sanders, you know, and right. And and I and I was like, oh, Barry Sanders is so cool, you know, like I'm kind of a short kid. He's short, you know. (laughs) I could apparently play professional football, whatever, right? It appears trivial Mm -hmm. when you look back. It appears really trivial. And that doesn't mean it's horrible, but it's trivial. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that. An incapacity to understand what is trivial and what matters also really stems from an incapacity to have heroes who are devoted to things that matter, right? And I'm sure that Barry Sanders, if you have him on the show, is going to come on and tell you, you know, like running around with a football is not the meaning of life. But a lot of little kids think it is because those are the stories they know and those are the people they know and those are the heroes that they have.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And he might actually say that. Do you, do you see? There's they're coming out with a documentary. No. I mean, so I was a Lions fan growing up. So Barry Sanders <laughs> hits hits home for me. I had a Barry Sanders up <laughs> in my room. But his whole thing, right, is that he yeah. walked away at his prime. He had all these yeah. records he could break. Right. And that never really he never came out and said why he just walked away. Right. Uh, which Megatron did too. So the Lions have a way <laughs> of chasing away like all star players. But they, they're um, doing a documentary. And I'm re- cool. I'm actually very intrigued to hear what his. Idea, because I think he's a man of faith. I'm not positive on that. Yeah, I don't but know. But I wonder if it's it's part of that where he just were, there's bigger things in life than right running a football.
0: Yeah, running a football, and I I think that that's something where in the martyrdom accounts, what the person was prior to the opening of that account comes to matter very little at all. And this is helpful even if you personally are not, let's say, statistically likely to be martyred mm-hmm. because. Part of the reason that i've taught this stuff 10 times in the past three years is because some of us or all of us at least some of the time are beginning to think of ourselves as statistically likely to be martyred mm-hmm. and if you go back in church history that isn't the way that christianity in its phase of being illegal even worked there were local persecutions and then it's fine for decades. There are empire wide persecutions and then it's fine for five years. And then there's another one or whatever the case may be. It depends on the politics basically. If you're not statistically likely to be martyred, you are 100% certain to die. And so really the, the best use of the martyrdom accounts, if you are not a martyr is that you begin to learn what dying Mm -hmm. means. And to give yourself, I think, the kind of weight to what's going on now and especially who is here now that most of us, most of the time, have little concept of. We get very easily wrapped up in trivialities. Mm -hmm. Now, it feels bigger than carrying a football. I mean, especially if you, you know, when people don't like sports, they can be super disdainful of it, right? So if I just say NFL, they don't know who Barry Sanders is, doesn't matter. They hate it. They always hated it. They were always morally superior or whatever. They probably mm-hmm. play more musical instruments than I do, right? Yeah. That's fine. That's totally fine. Everybody gets wrapped up in trivialities, mm-hmm. right? Pastors get wrapped up in trivialities. Theologians get wrapped up in trivialities. So what what's helpful about the martyrdom accounts is that it gives you such a clear perspective about, at the end... What matters is the confession that you give, present tense, and therefore the legacy that you leave.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's it. Because that's kind of all there is at the end. There's there's nothing more than that. You're a name and you confess Christ. Mm-hmm. You know? Your remains are cherished by the church, so the the bodies of the martyrs are beloved. When Bishop Cyprian dies, they're going to treat his body, they they call it a triumphal procession, to his grave. Like he's a Roman general who has won a great victory. It's beautiful, Mm. you know. But that's the honor that the church gives to her heroes. That's not something you need to worry about obtaining for yourself, right? Because you get a crown from Christ. So it just makes everything so clear. So... I mean, in answer to your first question, it's like, yeah, of course I want to die a Martyr's death. Like what other options are there? You know? Even if I'm dying peacefully in my bed, I have a I have a confession I'm gonna give to my family, and that's the legacy I'm leaving them. It's really clear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you almost wonder if that death isn't isn't actually more peaceful than I mean, dying of cancer or any yeah. of these ones that are drawn out. It's like death is death's never good. And coming to terms with that yeah. and is big. Now do you have any like practice, like yearly practice. I have some Catholic friends and during mm-hmm. Lent, they, they'll read, uh, I don't know if you know, it's the Latin term for like remembering death.
0: Memento mori. Yeah, memento yeah. mori. So
1: they'll read that every year. Yeah. And I, I haven't done it yet, but I've been intrigued by that. Or I don't know if there's anything that, that we have even in the Lutheran church. But just every year, just remembering I'm going to die and what does that mean and how does that, to your point, yeah. affect me now, keep me immune from trivialities.
0: So I, I, I do something like that halloween all saints and then the next day is my daughter's birthday it's all souls which is seemingly created for purgatory but lutherans have used historically all souls as a way to ponder the life that you are approaching as you approach death so what we would call in dogmatically we call the intermediate state Mm -hmm. okay which is here's the distinction is that on All Saints, and we do that in church, so people are kind of familiar with that, I'm pondering on All Saints the life of the blessed, right? The gospel reading is the Beatitudes. So I have a really lively, clear sense of the blessedness that is given to me in Christ, Mm -hmm. right, in eternal life. The day before that, which we think of as Halloween, and that's totally fine, and you know, I don't know if you lose or gain listeners, but I'm totally fine with Halloween. You know, like my kids do Halloween. We don't do scary Halloween, Mm -hmm. but we do Halloween. On Halloween, you can ponder the approach to death. So you sort of do it almost like a fall version of Good Friday, Holy Saturday, which is a great memento mori day too. We don't Mm -hmm. really have church on Holy Saturday. Mm Mm-hmm we kind of go straight into Easter Vigil Saturday evening, but it's kind of a fall version of Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter, mm. is that I, I I ponder the approach to death, the blessedness of eternal life in Christ, and then what it is that as I approach my own physical death, I am looking at and looking for. And honestly, being a pastor, this is easier than in many professions because I'm there when people die. Mm-hmm. And every time you're with somebody who's dying, you think about your own death. Do you come home and love your kids more? Oh, I mean like life, like the, the colors in the sky are more vivid when yeah. you leave the deathbed.
2: Yeah. Because
0: it's almost like you yourself were dying and you get another hour. I mean, it's incredible, mm-hmm. you know? So a book that I like in terms of this Memento Mori stuff is kind of a strange book to recommend in this regard. But it's, Alexander Schmemann's journals. He writes them. He's a Eastern Orthodox guy. He writes these journals. He kind of keeps them secretly. And the English version is very bad because his wife took out a bunch of stuff. So all the spicy stuff about how he just can't stand most of what he has to do on a daily basis, (laughs) she took out. It's in the French. So if you have French, you can read that. But even in English, it's very beautiful. And it starts out with something. This is what I always think about in terms of this Memento Mori thing. He's on a train home to new york from wilmington delaware is a parish he always goes to and speaks every year at some some lecture thing whatever right so he's on the train he's 53 years old he thinks to himself what have i accomplished at that time this is the early 1970s he had accomplished an incredible amount and he's probably the only eastern orthodox theologian that the folks watching this will have heard of Mm -hmm. i don't honestly i'm not that into his theological books I like his diaries because he has a very lively sense of something which is that in view of all the things that go on especially in a busy life almost none of it really matters Mm -hmm. and you kind of have to be sufficiently busy to realize that yeah yeah when things go more slowly not only does it seem like I can't believe anybody's that busy but you also think that that stuff matters and when you are that busy you know it doesn't yeah yeah I mean, he will even do things like, you know, he's, a, he's at that time, it's kind of hard to explain. He's in a small church body, so he's like every important theologian you've ever heard of combined into one for his church. Mm-hmm. He's, the, he's kind of the only, only thing they have going at the time in the 70s. This is before people convert to Eastern Orthodoxy. It's a very ethnic church. Mm-hmm. He's kind of the only public figure they have going. He doesn't care about any of that. He'll go to some church that has like 10 old ladies, to fill in for some priest who's sick on a Sunday and this like means the world to him all that gets recorded in his diaries so he's on his way back to New York he gets off the train it's snowing he is walking from the station back to his home on the campus of St. Vladimir's and he's looking at the lights in the homes along the way and he's saying that's where life happens this is what he writes in his diary when he gets home that's where real life happens and so this this makes it easy is and these are the things you savor when you think about death, as you think about all the things that matter right now and you're so busy and everything, all of that just goes away in view of death. Mm-hmm. yeah, so at this time of my life, I mean, maybe when I'm seventy, if I get there, I will think in a different way on November second about death, but right now I think about things that matter and things that don't, yeah, you know, and that that gives you it's not a morbid thing because number one, it's true, you're going to die. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's a true thing. But number two, it gives you a proper sense of I would say the weight. But also you you appreciate things more. Mm-hmm. Even when you're busy. Because at least you're doing something. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, that's like on the way to like when you go, when I go to visit someone who's dying. Yeah. Almost always on the way there. Yeah. There's a, uh, it's going to sound bad, but there's a little bit of annoyance, right? Cause I've got 10 things that I'm supposed to do. Right. So even though like, I know this is important. Yeah. I might love the person, but there's always this like, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's this, ah, like, you know, I got to drive 30 minutes and I'm going to be late for dinner and da, da. (laughs) But then you leave. And yeah. like all of those cares that you had on the way, gone. those are all gone. Yeah, that's right. And there's like a couple things that are on your mind that are important. And yeah. one is, one is your family, you know, your wife, your kids, yeah. and then the importance of your vocation, like yeah. the importance of, of these heavenly vocations of, of being there for people as they prepare, whether they're age five or 85 yeah. for death and everything else is like, oh, it's not all that important. Like that, that was trivial. Yeah. So it, it, it right. does give you its little dose of clarity. Totally yeah, no question at all. And people used to be more exposed to that, right? People didn't used to necessarily I mean I always think of one of the issues for that might challenge 20 year olds is they're not there, they're not around birth and they're not around death. Like right. They go into the city where everyone's kind of in their prime health and they're in good economic standings and they're just they live in that bubble. So real life, like all those doses of reality, they're just immune from it. People used to die at home and they used to be
0: born at home. Mm-hmm. And now neither of those things happens at home and lack of exposure to them is basically lack of exposure. It's like people know 45 different brands. They can't tell you the difference between an oak leaf and a maple leaf. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, it's a lack of exposure to reality, right? And that's something you could lament or something, but I mean, I'm, ju- I'm saying it because it is the case, And what it but what it does is, I think it creates vastly more dissatisfaction mm-hmm. in your life because all the things that you're striving for are ultimately trivialities. Mm-hmm. All the other stuff besides the birth of my children and the death of my grandparents, or someday the death of my parents, in the whole scheme of things, I've done in plenty of genealogical work. Mm-hmm. None of the rest of it matters.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Every 10 years, you get a sense from a census record, you know oh he's he's still a farmer. he was a farmer ten years ago, or okay, he changed jobs in the last ten years. It really doesn't matter though mm-hmm. the fact that you existed <laughs> that's kind of it yeah the rest of it and i and i that's I think that's what I love so much about the schmamon journals is he'll go outside, the sun is shining. that's what he likes, yeah.
1: Yeah, you it. don't take yourself too seriously
0: Not you can't yeah. you can't you're going to die someday yeah. there's nothing more embarrassing than the way you're going to look when you're dying Yeah. so don't worry about it <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter
1: yeah that's a good lesson <laughs> yeah Yeah. Well, I wanna, we could talk about this all day yeah, maybe no we can worries. circle back to this. I mean, you, yeah. you've been so you've been talking about this now for two days you've been dealing yeah. with martyrs and death I and, didn't get
0: to talk about the Shmeman train journey okay, so good. no Yeah. Yeah. if but anything martyrs. else pops
1: in your head that you've missed over the last two days okay. we'll just we'll pivot over it okay. we'll pick yeah. it up that'll work but yeah so when i when i called you and you know said hey here's what mm-hmm. we're doing would you like to be on yeah i said well, okay what would you like to talk about and immediately you said i want to talk about secularization <laughs> yes you know on the secular movement why? Yeah. why 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 is that something that you think is, is is a prime importance for people to understand to listen to to hear
0: right so secularization just so we're clear what we're talking about because it's it's something for which people usually don't have a very good word but basically it's the process that you can observe in pretty much any single family, let alone our entire country, of what is happening to us in religious terms, meaning whereas in the past people claimed some kind of religious affiliation or were almost certainly raised with some kind of religious affiliation, now neither of those things is true. People are neither claiming to have any particular, and I, I don't, it doesn't even have to be Christianity. Although in the past it was almost exclusively Christianity, but I'm saying they're not trying to be Muslim, they're not trying to be Jewish, they're not trying to be anything. They also increasingly, and this was true for me personally too, that's part of my interest in it, are not raised as anything in particular. Now there are lots of reasons for that and we can talk about them. So but you, the, you were not raised Christian? No, I was not. Okay, interesting. So I was, I was, I w- my parents were both raised in a what we would now call a mainline Protestant church. My dad was raised in the Eastern antecedent to the ELCA today, mm-hmm. Lutheran Church in America. Actually, baptized in United Lutheran Church in America. If anyone knows what that was. And my mom was raised in the Methodist Episcopal Church, now called the United Methodist Church. Now blowing up. Hmm. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're both now Missouri Synod Lutherans, which is wonderful, but yeah, we weren't raised that way. And if I had wanted to be raised in the Missouri Synod, and I do want to talk about the Missouri Synod for this reason too, I couldn't have been because the closest church was like an hour and a half away. Hmm. So secularization is not just a process that everyone is interested in because people that never go to church in the United States pretty much only vote Democratic for example. So political scientists are very interested in this phenomenon. It's not just a matter of religious interest on the part of churches. It's a very broad phenomenon that affects lots of other things. Because if you say, I've never been to a church, I basically know exactly what you think about abortion and school vouchers and lots of other things. Mm. And if I don't, you are some very strange exception to the rule. Mm. Okay. But I also think that it's basically the biggest mission, both target but also retention problem that we have, not only in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, but in any
1: church. So we're losing more people from
0: our church body. To who this. turn into well, what do you do on the weekends? Well, I don't go to a Catholic church. I don't go to a non denominational church. My kids play hockey. Yeah. That's so much more common than people departing for another religious tradition of any kind right you could be so vague about that like well do you want to be baha'i or you want to be muslim Or no my kids play hockey or or whatever yeah. you know and so that's really i think something about which we speak very little so that's why i knew right away that's what i wanted to talk about mm-hmm. yeah so have you've been wrestling with just trying to understand this phenomenon all kinds of facets of it yeah let's start with maybe some more examples of of what we're talking about before Mm -hmm. we talk about did this come from somewhere intellectually or or whatever because what happens is that a lot of people are going to change their religious affiliation probably around the time of college okay and whether they go to college or not, they're going to either keep attending and that's really going to change something in them. So a lot of people, if you talk to them, even if you just said, I want to ask pastors when they realized that they wanted to be pastors Mm -hmm. or when they thought about being pastors for a lot of guys, that's going to happen when they're in or around college age.
1: Is that just because like they're contemplating these larger things, like, like they're being asked the question, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what are you going to do now that you don't live in your parents' house? Or is that is that <laughs> yeah. just because it's at the forefront of their mind or is there more going on there?
0: I think so. I think even if you're not going to college, it is a time of great, you You are just starting out in so many senses, whether you're starting out because financially you're starting out, you have a job, but you, you don't have a lot saved, you don't have a house yet. It's a time of blue sky kind of ambition. Mm-hmm and that opens up your mind in a way and you think do i want to do this do i have to do this right your impulse probably to move away from where you grew up was never stronger than when you were 20 years old Mm -hmm. right so i think that happens even if you don't go to college if you're in college it used to be the case that your mind would be opened up at that time I'm not sure that's entirely the case anymore mm-hmm. because a lot of people who are coming into particularly traditional forms of Christianity at a college age now are probably doing it by way of reaction because the humanities which were responsible for instructing people in here's how you express yourself well well in order to do, to express yourself well you really need to think about how do I communicate? And do I actually think this? Can I communicate things I don't really believe? All kinds of questions open up by that. Humanities are no longer really doing that. They're they're really more devoted in most of our schools to just sheer indoctrination. I mean, it's...
1: How do they do that? Because, uh, I mean, the humanities, it's like you go through Greek thought, you go through like Roman thought, yeah. you're going to go through like Dante and yeah. Milton and Aquinas yeah. and all the... like. So that's that's been the humanities curriculum for... Ever. So, did they just completely wipe that out? And yeah, it's going away. It? So, it's humanities today, is something completely different than what it was.
0: Humanities is like some sort of leftist catechism class on steroids forever. Okay. And if so, if you didn't like confirmation class because you were bored, try college because things will just be hammered over and over and over again. So the amount of content in a liberal arts education has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. I mean, the knowledge of the Western canon shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And it even happens at schools like Columbia that still retain some form of a Western canon centered curriculum. So you're just indoctrinated over and over and over and over again. There are exceptions to that, but they are relatively few. And so kids who are fleeing that in college are happy to find something that is simply stable. It doesn't have to be bulletproof or intellectually incredible. It just has to be stable and old. Mm. Right. And you're
1: saying that's what's drawing people, some people back to the back church. to
0: traditional Christianity. Yeah. And and in some ways people are they're they're traditional in a reactionary or purely aesthetic way that is it's not maybe worked through or something and these, if it's a 19 year old kid it doesn't need to be you mm-hmm. know he's he's running on impulses yeah well
1: it yeah. kind of reminds me so i remember and i was much more unstable in college certainly yeah. on what i believed or what i thought about things you know, Yeah, kind of wrestling yeah. through that and i remember if i was ever having any kind of like existential crisis yeah i'd put on classical music and i don't <laughs> even, I didn't even like classical music but yeah, there right. was something stable about that yes. where it was like yeah. something about this music that survived for 500 years and it's like <laughs> it's like that's safe. Like that's safe <laughs> for me right now in this moment of instability. So yeah, similar with that. With people kind of going back to the church, and they're like, okay, this has been around for a while. Like right. these, these liturgy, There's these teachings, these mantras. All these things are, they're, yeah, I guess they're stable, firm foundation. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I have, I have people like, like this in
0: my church. I mean, they just, it's almost like they fall out of the sky, you know. But they're not. I mean, they are. They are living life now with its enormous instability constant uncertainty lots of guilt laid on them for lots of things they come to church they don't have any of that it's Mm -hmm. not unstable i'm not giving you guilt about being a white male or whatever it is that you were doing you know that's so horrible that's attractive Mm -hmm. you know that's very attractive but that's also something that The humanities have failed those people because they have not given them capacities for expression that are necessary for thinking through the Christian doctrine they're going to learn. And in addition to that, the humanities have failed them because they have tried to indoctrinate them into something that originally was supposed to actually shape your capacity to think or your capacity to express yourself. It wasn't supposed to tell you how to how to make a moral judgment about everything that's ever happened historically hmm. right so i think that what we what we now deal with is that secularization has all kinds of different facets one of the things that's happened educationally is that it has caused our educational institutions to become substitute churches or substitute confirmation classes mm-hmm. and uh, rather than being able to occupy a place next to theology supplementing theology they have to supplant theology
1: and these things maybe they just they don't live up to that they're not supposed to be that overarching right like biology is not supposed to give you answers on on the origin of life how the universe came about like those those used to be theological things and biology would supplement so it would stay in its lane
0: it can't so so what happens with in a in a mind that is secularized is that that mind becomes wildly imbalanced mm-hmm. because it's demanding of certain disciplines that those disciplines answer questions that they cannot or demanding of certain material that it provides things that it cannot. It's, it, it's the academic version of something that, I, that if you wanna talk about heroes, you can see with superheroes, right? Grown men obsessing over superheroes didn't used to happen why is it happening now? Because it is a kind of pantheon for people who have no God to worship. Mm-hmm. It's something to obsess over. It's something to think about in the same way that previous generations might have thought about Christian doctrine.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, it might seem trivial. It is. It's horribly trivial. But it is a confusion of triviality for substance that is really natural if you've never had substance. hmm <laughs> You yeah. know, you've never heard anything from God, so of course, whatever's going on in the Marvel comic universe is going to matter more
1: mm-hmm. than if you had heard from God, mm-hmm. right? Okay. What are some other examples of so of the secular movement today and how it's affecting either families or institutions, yeah. or just to kind of get kind of a good three dimensional picture of what what the animal is that we're dealing with? Today. Okay. So what we're talking about in a in a very big
0: way is a movement away from affirmation and practice of Christianity. That's secularization is discussed by scholars of religion, sometimes in some kind of relationship to other religions. So they might talk about it in India, but generally not. It's generally discussed as movement away from public affirmations and regular practices of Christianity. So you could take any given part of life, facet of life and say, okay, how does that work? So grandma and grandpa had devotions and it was called devotions. Mom and dad sometimes pray before meals. I just eat my food as soon as it's served. Mm -hmm. Right. In church, it could, it could have to do with, does the church look like a church on the inside or does it look kind of like an auditorium? Does the pastor seem like a pastor or does he seem kind of like he's running like a TED Talk, Mm -hmm. right? So stylistically, it's often easiest to notice in church. In public institutions, it's easiest to notice because you move in America, you move from a de facto public Christianity to something that gets more and more and more vague all the time and now in many places actual public hostility to Christianity. So are you going to be promoted in your department of the state government that you work in if your boss knows that you're a Christian, right? Or your company, right? So in corporate life, it might move from we're completely fine with the fact that you're a christian actually that's good because you don't get wasted all the time so you're actually a better worker mm-hmm. to now it's it's hurting you if we're looking at whether or not we're going to promote you mm-hmm. or these two other candidates for that position right
1: yeah so could, could you say it's it's kind of a, it, the first step at least is some kind of watering down it can be a watering down and i think especially in the case of the church mm-hmm.
0: yeah <laughs> in the case of the church it's always a watering down and that moves all the way from, you know, maybe two hundred years ago, the church is a set aside when the town is being settled. Well, we have to leave room to build at least one church and maybe multiple churches. Sometimes if your if your suburb was developed anywhere between maybe the forties and the seventies, part of the reason that your churches are sort of all clumped together is because the developer set it aside to be built that way, because we know we're gonna need you know, depending on your area, we're going to need a Methodist church and a Catholic church and a Lutheran church. Mm -hmm. To now today, one niche of commercial real estate you can go into, commercial real estate totally tanking Mm -hmm. since COVID. But if you want to make some money in commercial real estate, you could do worse than to go into redeveloping churches, especially in major cities. Yeah. So secularization in terms of the church specifically is always a watering down in terms of the family or in terms of the state or in terms of the workplace it might be simply an attitudinal change and i think that that's important because in the case of the church could be true too but let's say talk about grandma and grandpa's devotions that they did attitudinally that has to do with the fact that you're just not indifferent that it actually matters that you do this so it doesn't matter if you were in a rush or dinner is getting kind of cold or you came home a half hour late whatever but we have to do this we we can't we can't actually have an evening as a family without doing this that involves not just a watering down of practice like we just don't expect as much of ourselves religiously as previous generations did it's also and i think this relates to what we were talking about with death honestly it also involves a false view of time. Everyone today, so I'm not speaking about secularization of the state right now. Personally, everyone today believes he is much more important, I think, than his grandfather did.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Because if he thought he were as humble as his grandfather was, he would be able to take the same kinds of time that his grandpa did for devotions. Mm. The reason that you're not taking the time is because you believe
1: that the things that you're going to do with your time are more important than that. So it's the person that says, you know, I'm just so busy. I was so busy this week. Couldn't yeah. get to it. It's it's when they're saying that they're saying there were so many demands on my time because yeah. I'm such a valuable asset that like, sorry, I couldn't get to that text message or that email or certainly to a devotion with my family yeah. because, you know,
0: and, uh, and, and part, okay. Part of that Part of that can be arrogance. Mm -hmm. Part of it, however, is that our sense of time has been changed into a very non-Christian sense of time. So if you're a Christian, time is always a gift. It's always a gift. And that's easiest to think about when you think about who you wish you had more time with. Because then you know, okay, I don't actually control time. Mm -hmm. I don't control time. Time is made by God, time is a gift. Time with anyone is a gift. And with some people, especially those we love, it's a it's a privilege. Unfortunately, a lot of people have to get very old before they realize that. And sometimes people don't realize that until they're dying. Mm-hmm. Right. Time is a gift. If time is a gift, then it's a lot like a lot of other things in my life, like money and the and the talents that God has given me, they're to be used for his purposes. I, I don't need to treat them like they're just mine to do whatever I want with. Now, God is not stingy. So when you use time for his purposes, like using it for your family instead of yourself, like you could just check out on your phone for like an hour and a half mm-hmm. or whatever. He's not stingy. So when you actually exercise the gifts that he's given you, when you sow abundantly, you actually do reap abundantly. Like, I'm not saying this is like hard. Yeah. You know, you hear your two-year-old praying the Lord's Prayer. It's, that's not hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's very beautiful. So the life that you get in return is wonderful. It, it's, I mean, it, it's it's so easy to say, yes, I would choose that a thousand times over. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think that it it comes out of the sense of time that we've been given, which is not that time's a gift, but that time is some kind of asset we're gonna manage. Mm-hmm.
1: So does some of this, some of this have to do as you're talking? I'm thinking, you know, grandparents, yeah, you know, non secular kind of yeah. Christian based. Everything has a higher order of meaning. Like so, meaning goes deeper and it goes above you, and you're a participant in yeah, that. Right. Once you become kind of the arbitrator of meaning you know, then it's much easier to be yeah. very flippant towards things. Yes. Such as, you know, church or the architecture in the church, or all of these different types of things. To the mock way that them. You, yeah, the way that you, you run your family. So is some form of secularization, just this lack of, there's this higher meaning that is taking place that you're a participant in, and rather now this this lower meaning that like kind of stops with us or maybe the institution right above me, the yeah. you know, the university or the yeah. great thinker or whatever it is. And because of that, everything's a little more flippant, less serious, and these other things kind of wash away. Is yeah. There an aspect of that.
0: Yeah. So, what's going to happen is, and the, there's a feedback loop here between doctrinal awareness and then actual practice of life, right? Those things are all interrelated. It's why, if you look into the term secularization, you're going to find an enormous array of discussion. That's going to range from, well, what do people do that is sort of religious or they would generally now call spiritual, but they don't go to a church, they're not in an organized religion, all the way to secularization involves, strictly speaking, you know, here's a whole book about how churches get repurposed when they're no longer houses of worship the reason for that giant range is that it is a process that spiritually speaking reveals the fact that all of christianity as well as everything that is against it is interrelated Mm. so if i have a deep doctrinal awareness of that time is a gift or that it's sunday and sunday needs to be used for certain purposes that's going to change my practice of life if i don't have that awareness I wasn't taught it or I learned at school that it was foolish or however this actually worked out in any given person's life, then yeah, that's going to create different attitudes and those different attitudes are going to create different practices than my grandparents. Mm -hmm. Because the way that my grandparents live then becomes non-rational or an object of historical interest. It's essentially like if I got to own my own home, like telegraph machine, mm-hmm. kind of cool, if you're really interested in the history of communication, doesn't matter at all for basically anyone.
1: Yeah, uh, one thing that's always kind of struck me, I've got a lot of you know, friends and stuff that have been affected by this for sure. Yeah, right. And I know, I know some, some people who really respect their grandparents, yeah. you know, hold them in very high esteem, yeah, right. and yet it's, it's completely apparent, even some of these grandparents that are still alive, You know, and they'll go to church a couple times a week and they can, they can both say they look up to their grandparents and then look at the one thing that they hold to be the most valuable (laughs) and be very flippant and say, but that's not important. And I always just find that interesting. It's like, well, how can you value them? And then also be flippant about the one thing that that person values the most. Right.
0: Yeah. I I think that's because one of, one of Satan's tactics here has been to segregate Christianity from the rest of life. Hmm. Hmm. so it would be sort of like if your grandparents were from a completely different city and they were completely obsessed with the major league baseball team from that city but your parents and your grandparents on your other side and you had all grown up in a different city so you know the grandparents on that side they're really big dodgers fans but you've never even been to los angeles and you are just absolutely diehard miami marlins and i'm picking a team because it's you know who is an absolute diehard mind like nobody's even from <laughs> right. miami originally practiced. no one from miami goes to baseball games. Ex- also yeah. true right exactly so so in that case what you're looking at is it's basically like that's over there i've never been there i'm not going to go there and in everything else i can maintain a positive attitude like i don't mm-hmm. have to be an angry person generally if you meet somebody that doesn't go to church who's angry about it they probably used to go to church Mm -hmm. but you'll notice that that's not generally the attitude that's created in people. It's a lack, it's a confusion about church. Like what even is that? Why do you do that? It's a lack of vocabulary. It might be some assumptions, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I know that's what Dodgers fans do, but like certain, you know, vocabulary, they don't know what Chavez Ravine is. They don't know who Vin Scully is. And the reason is that they've just been totally divorced from all of that. I remember in college, this is around the time that I started going to church but I didn't really know anything. We were trying to study modern literature and the professor who was Jewish handed out a bunch of passages from the King James Bible because you really couldn't read this particular book which was Absalom Absalom by William Faulkner without knowing various stories including the title reference Mm -hmm. from the Bible nobody in the class knew anything about this Hmm. so if if i'm confused and i don't have the words it's really easy to like segregate a whole realm of life whether it's christianity or the bible or the los angeles dodgers from everything else and just leave it be Mm -hmm. you know and if i'm never pushed on that and never challenged like i don't move to los angeles and somebody like demands at gunpoint that i become a dodgers fan which I don't think that's why you get held at gunpoint in Los Angeles generally, <laughs> right? Um, maybe other reasons are involved. If that doesn't happen, then I, I don't have to care. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's very possible because it's not like you have to be angry about it. Yeah. You can just be like, that's cool for you. That's fine. That's.
1: Which is usually the sentiment you Exactly. Hear. It's like, yeah, good for you. You know, exactly. we've got family members and such that are like, oh, you guys are like really Christian. Like, good for you and like they'll even applaud it sometimes to like other people like oh yeah like they're they go to church and they love it and like good for them and like i like coffee shops like good for us you know it reminds me of uh c.s lewis when he talks about like his conversion yeah one of the points that he brings up is he, he says all of his favorite authors were mm-hmm. christian yeah right. and for the longest time he exactly. just said well they just happened to be christian yeah and when his conversion took place one of the big points was he said wait Maybe they're good authors because they're Christian, right? <laughs> it's like maybe it's not just their favorite coffee shop, yeah. but maybe this is something that's actually foundational to why they're making good pieces of literature or, you know, talking about the medievals in a, you know, uh, intellectual way.
0: That's right. Yeah. I mean,
1: I I had the
0: same experience in that. I was introduced to Christianity as it were by an atheist who was my English teacher in high school and had me read T.S. Eliot. And Mm T.S. Eliot had been an atheist and wrote a beautiful poem called The Wasteland about life after the destruction of the First World War. He's not yet a Christian when he writes that, he becomes a Christian shortly thereafter. But what you figure out is yes, the capacity to express this kind of beauty, the capacity to speak in these ways comes out of a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come out of sheer interest in words it's not a technical function of capacity to manipulate words in a particularly great way it's going to come out of their knowledge of a beauty that is transcendent that goes beyond anything that this world is going to offer you right Mm -hmm. so it's because of that that i then was pushed to think about you know, maybe I should be interested in Christianity or who is Jesus or, or you know, just various. I mean, I'm sure it was, it was more inarticulate at the time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's inarticulate because if you don't grow up with this stuff, you don't have words for the things of the spirit, you know? So Lewis talks about this. This is his argument from desire mm-hmm. is that you sometimes have inarticulate longings for great things not for yourself right it's not it's not ambition mm-hmm. you have in arts you have I, I can't express when i am looking at the earth dying in the fall what exactly that's making me long for or it's hard for me to express what it is like when the earth wakes back up in the spring the way that i feel or why does the sky look brighter when i leave the deathbed mm-hmm. why are those things if i don't have a religious vocabulary i don't have any way to explain why it's even happening to me not to speak of answers i'm not even i can't even put my questions coherently mm-hmm. because i've never been taught that i should long for god mm-hmm. that god could supply these things that christ could be sufficient for those things or somehow explain why life is beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well, that's that's beautiful cuz that's 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 Lewis too cuz Lewis is conversion like he talks about when he was a kid he had this this uh and I get this sometimes too yeah. which is really weird. But he, there was this garden that he was probably 2 or 3 and he just has this picture in his mind of this beautiful garden, and it's it's a real garden, like it's it's a garden he grew up around. Yeah, yeah. And it just made it such an impression on him. Right. And he would have dreams about this and these returning dreams. And he says when his uh, he has this little circle route he would go over there in, yeah. in Oxford. And when he became a Christian, he says he, like he left. And by the time he got back to the return, he was a Christian. He yeah, left that's an right. Atheist returned yeah. a Christian, but it was that it was that that impression and that image of this beauty which created in him a longing and a desire yeah. and finally just in that walk like it that desire or that that which he longed for connected with christ yeah. and with god and those two became the same thing and all of a sudden he understood okay here's now the source of beauty here's the source of longing and then he had a vocabulary for it right um and then of course you know creedal you know doctrine and all of this kind of flowed from that right. as he grew yeah
0: i i think that in that something that sometimes our church has been remiss perhaps or takes too much for granted is why do people show up in such numbers for christmas eve the and it's not just that you know you on christmas eve you should if you're a pastor you should absolutely preach your heart out if you can't preach the gospel on christmas eve i can't help you and you mm-hmm. should probably resign your office because what's happening there is that that longing is answered very beautifully by the incarnation that if this is this world is so beautiful horrible but also beautiful at the same time that the son of god would want to be part of that is part of that like us in every way except without sin right that the incarnation which is obviously the foundation for all the rest of it Right? It's why we as Lutherans say that our understanding of how the human and the divine natures relate to each other is so important. Mm-hmm. It's why we say what we do about the Lord's Supper, for instance. He, he has for a time work to do, right? And how, how greatly he has desired that baptism of blood. Mm-hmm. But that is for a time. The incarnation lasts forever. Mm-hmm right? He has taken on flesh and blood never to put them aside again. So what what's happening when you are wondering why is it that that sunlight looks like that through the leaves of that tree on this day in June is that this is a world that is so beautiful and so much his that he has become part of it forever. Mm-hmm. It is astounding. And you'll find in the case of Eliot or Lewis You also find this note in Tolkien, but Lewis is just so articulate about these things, right? Tolkien is raised in these things and just talks about them differently, right? Mm -hmm. It's why it's second nature and underneath everything in his fiction. Lewis talks about it articulately as an apologist, is that underneath all these things is the incarnation, Mm -hmm. right? And that he has joined himself to us. Mm -hmm. Because especially when you have a longing or a loneliness, that is really only ever answered by the incarnation. -hmm. Because it abides, yeah, right. It abides, and so these are all very these are all very John words. When I first became a Christian, I didn't know what was happening in the Gospel of John, so I thought (laughs) I understood it, yeah. And now I know I don't understand it, but I am much more interested in what it's talking about, especially this notion of abiding. It's like poetry sometimes. It it? is. It is like wash over you. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and it happens to the disciples in John. Like he says this concerning the temple of his body. And John actually says like, you know, paraphrase, we didn't get it. We didn't know what he was talking about later on when we remembered his words, right? And so that's the process and that's fine. Like it's it's good sometimes to be like, I'm stupid. I don't know what this means. Mm -hmm. Like that's better than acting like you know what it means. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, so, you know, question with that. So the longings there first, and just, I mean, as a quick aside, because I think and maybe we can circle back to this. Yeah. Both both Bishop Barron and Timothy Keller are yeah. two individuals that have made this this point and I think it's it goes right along with what you're saying. They'll say as an as like an apologist. Yeah. I remember Keller was talking I think in India about this and he gave this whole like speech supposed to be kind of built on like kind of answering questions about Christianity mm-hmm. and he didn't answer any of the questions and all he did was make a case for the beauty of Christianity. Yeah. And then at the end he said, "Listen, like I'm not even trying to convince you it's true, but do don't you want this to be true? Yeah. Like don't yeah. don't you long for this? Right. And if you do long for this, maybe the most probable explanation is that right. it might be because it's actually true and your heart longs for what's true. And then he moves to that. So there's this aspect of we say that there's this beauty that we long for, and Christianity finds that answer for us. Yeah. If we inherit Christianity in our family, then that maybe makes sense for our whole life. It's just there. Yeah, right. Yeah. So those who are secular, yeah. Either generationally, they've just lost it, or now a couple generations, they've lost it. Right. So what are they longing for? Because they kind of put a best construction on, not secularization, but the individual who has been secularized. Right. They still have these desires, but they no longer, as you're saying, have the language to articulate those desires. And so they're kind of groping in the darkness. That's right. what, do you, what do you see with those individuals? What are they what's taking the place of God as they long for that which, is, which they're longing towards? What takes the place of God has,
0: as pagan deities do, an infinite multitude. So when the demon says, we are legion, you have to realize that Satan has his own, be fruitful and multiply as a blessing, But Satan likes to mock that in the multiplication of demons and the multiplication of idols. And so in the person's life, what takes the place of that may change over time. It may abide with some kind of permanency, but then other things that are supposed to remain the same, the idol stays, and those things that should be permanent in his life, like the shape of his family, depart. What you're dealing with is the fact that the multiplication of demons is practically infinite and creative in its own way right satan is not a creator in any sense but he is perhaps you could say in a different theological vocabulary a sub creator Mm -hmm. he takes materials he's been given and works with the best of his ability to his own purposes so he's going to multiply idols that is why unfortunately too they can appear so desperately trivial so just I just give you an example that is happening here is that mammon obviously is always the biggest competitor to God. It's why in Christ's saying about the impossibility of the service of idols. I mean just it's just gonna break you down. The example that isn't God is mammon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so money's always been there, right? The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, not money, but the love of money. Well, that has gotten multiplied very creatively in recent years by the advent of something that when I was growing up and you were growing up was completely off limits for sports which is sports betting hmm right uh, the reason there were no pro teams in Vegas is because and or Atlantic City New Jersey was because of how that was that was thought to corrupt and intertwine itself and organized crime would be involved and this is all a problem okay set the mafia aside what is happening to the average guy who really has thinner margins for almost everything in his life than his dad did Mm -hmm. because of economic instability? He's taking the little margin that he has and he is blowing it on a bet. And he doesn't know any more than anybody else does about Mm -hmm. any of this stuff, right? So what you're dealing with is Satan is super creative because this guy is now maybe going to ruin his Sunday, but maybe going to ruin it. A lot of other things, too, depending on the size of the bet. Yeah. On a combined love of I'm really, 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 really going to care about not just this team, but maybe these players and this fantasy league that I'm in, whatever configuration he's got. But also now that's intertwined with money. So this is how things are very creative is that the reason that we were against gambling wasn't because, you know, hey, uh, is it bad if you wager five dollars on a poker game? Is that in and of itself intrinsically the worst thing in the world? Maybe there's some skill there, I don't know, whatever. It was basically because on a social level, this is destructive to most people because people can't handle that kind of responsibility. And what they're gonna do is they're just gonna blow the little margin that they had between their paycheck and their bills Mm -hmm. on something that seems like it's gonna work out really good and seems really interesting. But what it's ultimately going to do is just drive him further into debt. Mm-hmm. That's how casinos are going to make
1: money, right? That's- Which they do make a lot yeah, of money. Yeah, by
0: servicing debt, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the real business here. It's not about sports.
1: Yeah. Right. So, so what, what that also yeah. does there is that makes the, you know, for, I've moved away from sports. I just find yeah. I don't have much time, but I'll watch the Michigan Ohio State game. Sure. But if I want to, so I don't follow teams as much as to follow the Lions, yeah. watch yeah. one or two games a year. But if I want to really fill my weekend, I can gamble on six games, and I can spend, you know, I can spend, yeah, twelve hours, or yeah, all it? kinds of time, yeah. I can spend my whole your weekend. Whole, yes, that's right. And therefore, I've now filled my time. I filled my. I feel passionate about those things in the moment, and that's what's now taking the place of God to some degree.
0: It well, and it has to because the use of time is really the is really what's going to fill your heart. Mm-hmm. If you're spending time, and you, I mean, most people this is what they realize too late is maybe we could say it from this angle if you compare time to money almost everybody intrinsically believes money is super 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 important Mm -hmm. they stress about it they they use words like spend for it they think of it in amounts great fine they don't think about their time that way Mm -hmm. right they don't guard the time like they guard the money Mm -hmm. okay and they don't try to maximize the time like they maximize the money they They will just spend time like if you think about it okay what if somebody said like they knew you knew for certain an angel comes to you on saturday night and says you're gonna be dead on monday are you still gonna blow six to nine hours on nfl games on sunday Mm -hmm. like is that what you're gonna do so if you start thinking about time in a certain way it's gonna change how you spend it so if your time is filled with lots of other things if you are busy 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 And people always say it. They always say that, you know, three busies in a row. What have you been up to? I'm busy, busy, busy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it sounds weird. You know, did Mm -hmm. you know it sounds weird? If you're spending your time being so busy, I don't know what is filling your heart, but I know it's not God. Mm -hmm. God's not working that way. You'll notice that for people like Lewis, both the awareness of the longing, and the awareness of what could fill that, right? Which is which is really just Lewis's way of talking about Augustine's famous phrase from his account of his conversion: our hearts are restless, O oh Lord, until they rest in thee. You have to have sufficient time to realize that you're restless mm-hmm. and sufficient time to be given rest. Mm-hmm. If your time is pre-scheduled and predetermined by national broadcasts or something. That's never happening. So the whole concept of, I think, secularization is not only driven by ideas or institutions. I think it's also driven by mass distraction. Mm -hmm. So if people are entertained all the time, they are going to have very little capacity to be reflective or to be sated by Christ, fed by Christ. And this is not just about whether you come to church. It is. But it's also about whether that has any bearing on any of the rest of your life.
1: And it is amazing how it takes over other areas of life quickly yeah. too. It wasn't that long ago we spent spent some time with a family and we just we just observed that their communication was very surface level. Oh yeah. You know, like they didn't have the ability to kind of to maybe hash things out or to talk. Yeah. And what kept them at that kind of surface level was constant distraction. Yeah. You know, TV's on all over the house. So you could <laughs> they could kind of small talk. And then as soon as like something would come up where like you're kind of observing and you're like, oh, this might develop into a good comp Like it sounds like you guys got to work this out. And then it'd be like, (laughs) like, you know, oh, so-and-so saying this on the TV. Right. And it's just, it's that constant distraction to keep you at that superficial level so that you don't, I think Lewis does something like that in, um, uh, screw tape right? where like there's the one point where he's like, all of a sudden he's like. I don't know. He has some kind of like, well, what about God question? And I was like, I'm hungry. <laughs> and then like, he goes and he gets a snack and he's like, right. the devils are the, you know, uncle screwtaper. Yeah, right. Wh- whichever one is like uh, wormwood. Uh, he's like, all right, good, good, good. Like, yeah, right. just like, just make him hungry or like make him think about like a bus, like catching a bus or all this kind of stuff to distract yeah. from these deep questions that eventually at some point people ask. Correct. Until you can train yourself to just be distracted away Correct.
0: from Correct. Yeah. And so that is a much wider phenomenon. But in its effect, it's the same as what we were talking about earlier with curriculum in higher education and specifically humanities or liberal arts education is that if you have zero capacity or in this case, opportunity to ponder, to reflect, to wonder where the light shining through the leaves of the tree came from, then it's never going to occur to you so that what you're getting on a widespread spiritual level is a certain numbness but also an amazing pliability right so the numbness is vis-a-vis traditional questions that for which we have traditional answers where did all of this come from why do i feel guilty when i don't do what i think i should have done all of these sorts of things that are relatively easy answered by absolutely garden variety church type answers. You could get them in a small catechism, you could get them in a Sunday sermon. Really simple stuff, right? Good, solid food, right? Basic meat and potato stuff. The pliability is the part that I think the church pays the most attention to, but also struggles the most with. And that pliability is that someone who is subject to Satan's I'm not talking about demon possession. I'm talking about control, which is what Lewis is talking about in the Screw Tape Letters. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about physical possession by a demon. Okay, we can if you want to. But secularization doesn't usually work that way. I mean, I think that's probably just too much work for Satan to physically possess everybody, Mm -hmm. right? This is not zombie apocalypse stuff. This is more like what happens to the person who is not under the influence of Christ and his word? What happens is that he becomes really strangely suggestible mm-hmm so that 20 years ago you can go back in america 2003 you're five you're still five years away from president obama running for the first time in which he said i am against gay marriage that was 2008 mm-hmm. so 20 years ago we're like in the stone ages yeah right 20 years ago you could still make fun of boys who pretended to be girls mm-hmm. okay you're 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 going you're going way, way 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 back right zoomers can't even imagine this world right <laughs> no smartphones you're supposed to be heterosexual that's Mm. like normal okay so you're going way 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 back how did that change so quickly well partly what's happening as people are departing from and almost every american denomination has shrunk in that time that's why i chose that it wasn't random 20 years ago you're looking at a population still largely under the influence of christianity even publicly president bush is still running sort of as a public evangelical, Mm -hmm. how can we change so rapidly to the point where jokes are no longer allowed to be made, our laws are wildly different, we have a pride flag that normal people all know about now, there's a whole month devoted to it. It's because once you are being controlled, not possessed, but controlled by Satan, you become really strangely pliable and suggestible. Mm-hmm. You can become a person you don't even recognize in the same way that in the case of former President Obama, his positions are anathema not only to his party now in 2023, they're anathema to him. Mm-hmm. Those videos are embarrassing where Senator Obama is affirming that he believes marriage is between a man and a woman. Right? Mm-hmm. Because we are now changing very, very, very rapidly and the direction of that change is Hard to predict, because the rate of change is almost. You, it, it's almost impossible to calculate how fast a person can change once he departs from the influences of Christ. And you'll notice that when you see people described as, you know, I'm not, I, you know, what is it like when the person is not actually steadily imbibing the teaching of God? Well, the New Testament is always going to describe him as shifty. Mm-hmm. blown about by every wind of teaching okay a double-minded man unsteady in all his ways so it's not really an accident mm-hmm. that we change so rapidly now
1: yeah that's well just hearing that point of you know how much we've changed in 20 yeah, years right you'd almost think i mean if, if i if i've got a friend and he changes that much yeah in that short of a time yeah i'm gonna automatically start to question his stability, right? Like, I don't know how much I can trust him because he he might change in the next, you know, 20 years is not a long time. Goodness gracious for a whole civilization. Right. I mean, wouldn't that alone be something to just kind of question from the outside and go, maybe this isn't healthy. Like yeah, not even just right. because of what's changing, yes. just the fact that it has changed that quickly. Right. Because I know that's when I look at church bodies from the outside that are, yeah. you know, Lutheran, like, okay, who's close to us? Who's not close to us? The biggest red flag is, somebody's shifted this far on the spectrum on give it any issue it's like if you've shifted that far you probably don't understand what you believe what you're about yeah
0: and you don't you don't really know where you're going yeah because for an average person or for a church body for something that is not setting agendas if you're setting agendas that's different your changes are going to impact a lot more people so if you are the news media or you are the Writers Guild of America or whatever, you're setting people's agendas because people are consuming content incessantly. hmm If you're a normal person, you're not producing stuff, you're consuming, then what you're dealing with is what is coming next? And the answer, if you're honest with yourself, is I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know if in 20 years I'm going to have to talk this way about my transgender grandchild. Right now, today, I'm sitting in a Missouri Synod Church with my kids, but when they have kids, what are they going to be like and what am I going to have to accept in order to be thought of as a nice, normal person? Mm-hmm. You have no idea what's coming down the pike. Yeah, and But you know you're going to have to conform to it because this is observable it's easier with institutions because they have longer lives than people generally Mm -hmm. but it's it's observable in in institutions institutions that maybe 40 years ago were really devoted to women's ordination or something Mm -hmm. are now openly pagan i mean literally so not not figuratively or i'm being hyperbolic or so they're literally celebrating pagan rites inside their churches some of them because it would be It would be siding with settler colonialism to oppose indigenous rain rights, Mm -hmm. rain dances or something, you know, like all kinds of justifications for it. How did that happen? Well, it's because they're open. Mm -hmm. It's because they're not settled. It's because they're not fixed. They're not steady, right? And the word of God is going to make you steady. And it made our civilization steady for a very, very, very long time as that has increasingly been eclipsed in all of these different realms that we started out talking about. Of course, we're getting like, if you are a spinning top, you're going to wobble more towards the end Mm -hmm. and we're just wobbling a lot right now.